3: On Monday, April 24th, I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, nearly one month after a devastating tornado, residents of Rolling Fork describe work and life in their town trying to bounce back. Plus, on this Confederate Memorial Day, we revisit the document that severed Mississippi's ties to the Union. And we examine how holding on to this part of its past challenges the state's future. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. It's been nearly one month since an outbreak of tornadoes destroyed dozens of homes and businesses across Mississippi, among the wreckage was part of the Sharkey-Isaquina Hospital in Rolling Fork. Now the hospital is working out of what used to be an armory. Registered nurse Gay Jones says they have been able to resume many operations in this temporary location. She talks with our Lacey Alexander about how this mobile hospital will serve the community until repairs on the main building are complete
4: everything's condensed into a smaller area so we've got you know our supply rooms kind of condensed things are shifted around so we're having to uh, find out where all our stuff is shifted to we can still pretty much do the same thing we were doing at the other hospital
0: so the storms hit late March can you kind of tell me some of the big things that have changed since this hospital was initially established in response to that
4: well the emergency room's been relocated our patient um, area is now located in tents uh, we've got a female tent, a male tent, and we do outpatient services like wound care and MRIs and we do other uh, so we've got a third tent for those things but everything's been moved to like a tent we look like mash. <laughs> are you still seeing any kind of storm-related injuries? Sure. People are getting hurt now from uh, digging in rubble and trying to reconstruct stuff, so we're seeing injuries now, you know, cuts and bruises and getting hit in the head with debris such as that.
0: What feels the most different now that we've moved almost three weeks since the big storm?
4: We had a lot of resources initially, and those resources are now kind of dwindling. We had people that supplied food, so now we're having to hunt food. <laughs> the only thing we have going is a dairy bar, and they're located in a trailer, and we have lost dollar stores. We do have one grocery store left, but we only have one place in town to eat. Everything's gone. You have to think ahead. What can we take to work to eat? You know, what will we have? have you been
0: seeing the same patients over and over again and if so what are they saying about this experience?
4: Uh, We do see some patients and some of them are local a lot of them are out of town people who are getting injured but we're still seeing some local people and what we do notice is people have anxiety I mean you can tell that they're out of their medicine they don't have their prescriptions they are suffering from anxiety and sleeplessness it's just kind of sad you can tell people are on edge people have lost
0: homes lost everything. How do you hope this hospital helps those people recover?
4: I'm from here and we all feel like this hospital is our family, you know, and our people in the community are family and, you know, we would treat them like they were ours. And there's a lot of love in this community and it, it, it extends to the hospital family and the community also. So we just hope that they'll stick it out and we can all rebuild and be here in the future.
3: Nurse Gay Jones says the hospital has been able to coordinate partnerships to resume emergency response in the area. At the food truck down the street, residents are gathering daily for one of the only meals they can buy in town. Owner Tracy Hardin says the storms uprooted her dairy bar.
5: The tornado took our business, so we've been here cooking out of this food truck. When these residents of
0: rolling fork come in and chat with you guys come in and get food what are they saying to you what are some things you're hearing from your community right now
5: a bunch of thank you <laughs> um, we we've been blessed to get in so many donations that we're able to just give the food away daily so um, we've been feeding probably 500 a day um, people some people still don't have water or lights or gas or any of that so it's just nice being able to feed them and see them People are hopeful. They see us up and running. Um, They see other businesses trying to get up and running. And so it gives them hope. They're excited. Yeah, a little bit of excitement.
0: So are you a Rolling Fork native?
5: I've been here in Rolling Fork for 16 years now when we bought the business. Mm -hmm.
0: Talk to me a little bit about your business. What's the timeline on getting that back on its feet?
5: Um, we really can't say. Uh, we were uh, we, we had a business that had been here since '77, and uh, trying to remake that is really hard. So we're in the process of trying to figure out what to do. To um, it still needs to feel like the place to be. It still needs to feel like home to all of our customers. So we're not really sure on the timeline, but until we do get opened again, this will be transforming into our business. After we finish serving the community the free meals and things like that, we'll transition into this is where we make our money, Um, and we'll be here until our business is back.
0: So the biggest reason we're out talking to people today is to just get an update. Where is the community right now all these weeks later? To you, what are some of the biggest changes, biggest updates since the storm first hit a few weeks ago?
5: A really big change is starting to see the hope in people's face again, and we're seeing people that have had to stay in Greenville or Vicksburg. We're finally seeing some of our people come back home. Um, We're hopeful we'll see more of them come back home. And the amount of debris has gone way down, which is great that that shows progress um those are the biggest things
0: you're a business owner you're talking about trying to get your business back um one of the residents that we talked to at the hospital a few weeks ago says that one of the biggest changes he's noticed is a lot of the businesses are gone they can't operate right now um what does that say about the economy of this area and how can businesses bounce back after something like this
5: um what it says for the economy right now is um that there's not really an economy But with uh, the small-town, close-knit business owners that we have, I mean, we've all talked. We're all coming back. We're just down for a minute. We'll definitely be back.
0: And you trust this community to take care of you guys?
5: Definitely. Always has.
3: Tracy Harden owns the Dairy Barn Rolling Fork, which she now operates out of a food truck. Coming up on this Confederate Memorial Day, we revisit the document that severed Mississippi's ties to the Union. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
1: Discover everything MPB Think and MPB Music Radio have to offer with just the sound of your own voice. Ask for the one you want by name. For news, great storytelling, humor, games, and more, say smart speaker, play MPB Think Radio. For musical selections ranging from a dozen genres from classical to bluegrass, jazz to adult alternative, say smart speaker, play MPB Music Radio. Tuning in is easier than ever. Just ask for the one you want by name. Say smart speaker. Play MPB Think Radio.
3: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier.
6: And I'm Michael Guidry, Managing Editor for MPB News. Each year on the 4th of July, NPR hosts and reporters read the Declaration of Independence in full on air. The reading is broadcast here on NPB Think Radio and on hundreds more NPR stations across the U.S. This annual return to a founding document invites us to reflect on the principles and ideals on which the United States was built. To quote NPR, the Declaration is a document with flaws and deeply ingrained hypocrisies. It also laid the foundation for our collective aspirations, our hopes for what America could be.
3: Today in Mississippi is Confederate Memorial Day, a much different holiday informed by a different founding document. The Mississippi Declaration of Secession is shorter than the Declaration of Independence. It also lacks the idealism that Thomas Jefferson poured into his prose. Mississippi's declaration is instead dedicated to the defense of one racist institution. We invited six leaders and scholars with Mississippi roots to read the document in full.
7: Leslie Burrow McLemore, Professor Emeritus of Political Science, Jackson State University. Vaughn Gordon,
8: Executive Director, The Alluvial Collective.
9: I'm Cassie Shade-Turnespeed, I'm Assistant Professor of History at Jackson State University and Adjunct Professor at Mississippi Valley State University, as well as the Executive Director of COFRE, Inc., and we are the leaders in the building of the Cotton Pickers
10: Monument Project. I'm Stephanie Rolf and I am Associate Professor of History at Millsaps College in Jackson, Mississippi.
2: My name is Robbie Luckett. I'm director of the Margaret Walker Center and professor of history at Jackson State University. My name is uh, Ty Sigley. I'm
1: retired from the Army after 36 years as a brigadier general. I'm a professor emeritus of history at West Point, and I'm a visiting professor of history at Hamilton College in Clinton, New York. A declaration of the immediate causes which induce and justify
2: the secession of the state of Mississippi from the federal union. In the momentous step which our state has taken of dissolving its connection with the government of which we so long formed a part, it is but just that we should declare the prominent reasons which have induced our course. Our position is thoroughly identified with the institution of
8: slavery, the greatest material interest of the world.
7: Its labor supplies the product which constitutes by far the largest and most important portions of commerce of the earth.
9: These products are peculiar to the climate verging on the tropical regions, and by an imperious law of nature, none but the black race can bear exposure to the tropical sun.
10: These products have become necessities of the world, and a blow at slavery is a blow at commerce and civilization. That blow has been long aimed at the institution and was at the point of reaching its consummation.
8: There was no choice left us but submission to the mandates of abolition or a dissolution of the union whose principles have been subverted
1: to work out our ruin. That we do not overstate the dangers to our institution, a reference to a few facts will sufficiently prove. The hostility to this institution commenced before the adoption of the Constitution. And was manifested in the well known ordinance of seventeen eighty seven
2: in regard to the Northwestern Territory. The feeling increased until in eighteen nineteen to eighteen twenty it deprived the South of more than half of the vast territory acquired from France. The same hostility dismembered Texas and seized upon all the territory acquired from Mexico. It has grown until it denies the right of
7: property in slaves and refuses protection to that right on the high seas and the territories, and wherever the government of the United States had jurisdiction.
8: It refuses the admission of new slave states into the Union and seeks to extinguish it by confining it within its present limits, denying the power of expansion.
10: It tramples the original equality of the South underfoot.
2: It has nullified the Fugitive Slave Law in almost every free state in the Union and has utterly broken the compact which our fathers pledged their faith to maintain.
10: It
9: advocates Negro equality, socially and politically, and promotes insurrection and incendiarism in our midst.
1: It has enlisted its press, its pulpit, and its schools against us until the whole popular mind of the North is excited and inflamed with prejudice.
8: It has made combinations and formed associations to carry out its schemes of emancipation in the states and wherever else slavery exists.
7: It seeks not to elevate or to support the slave, but to destroy his present condition without providing a better.
10: It has invaded a state and invested with the honors of martyrdom, the wretch whose purpose was to apply flames to our dwellings and the weapons of destruction to our lives.
2: It has broken every compact into which it has entered for our security. It knows no relenting
1: or hesitation in its purposes. It stops not in its march of aggression
7: and leaves us no room to hope for cessation or for pause. It has recently obtained control of the government by the prosecution of its unhallowed schemes and destroyed their last expectation
2: of living together in friendship and brotherhood. Utter subjugation awaits us in the union if we should consent longer to remain in it.
10: It is not a matter of choice but of necessity. We must either
9: submit to degradation and to the loss of property worth $4 billion of money or we must secede from the union framed by our fathers to secure this as well as every other species of property.
8: For far less cause than this, our fathers separated from the crown of England. Our decision is
1: made. We follow their footsteps. We embrace the alternative of separation, and for the reasons here stated, we resolve to maintain our rights with the full consciousness of the justice of our course and the undoubting belief of our ability to maintain it.
6: When were you first exposed to this document? And can you recall what your initial response when you first
1: read it was? The first time I remember was in graduate school when I was getting my grad degree in history at Ohio State, at the Ohio State University,
10: as a
1: graduate student in the university,
10: finishing up my master's degree at Mississippi State University.
1: And I read the Battle Cry of Freedom by James McPherson, and it had a hundred some pages about the cause of the Civil War.
10: <laughs> this is this is an argument that has seemed so complicated to me in the past. When actually you could just put the Declaration of Secession in the hands of, of someone who believes that the um, Civil War was not that was not fought over slavery and it would resolve it.
2: What it does is it, it really shows us the intentions of the people who made the decision to secede, to leave this state, the white leaders in this state who chose to dissolve their participation in this union for one reason and one reason only, and that was the institution of slavery. And this document repeats it over and over and over again.
1: Slavery, slavery. And when I finally, that it, not, not just into my head, but into my heart, it changed me forever. What shaped your world before that moment? Well, I grew up wanting to be a white Southern gentleman. Often we say a Southern gentleman, but remember the white is often silent. And I grew up in Virginia wanted to do that. My dad's a Mississippian, and uh, uh, he you know, had this idea of being a gentleman. And who was the greatest gentleman? It was Robert E. Lee. And so when I was growing up as a kid, on a scale of one to ten, Robert E. Lee would have been an 11. And even though I was a good Episcopalian went to church every Sunday, I would have put uh, Jesus on like the five or six scale. So it wasn't just that, that Lee and some of the Confederates were good people. It was a reverential treatment. So that's the way I grew up.
6: How is your view of being a Southerner changed uh, since you have dove into this part of American history?
1: Yeah, well, remember that, that uh, the state of Mississippi's 38% uh, uh, African American. And remember that in 1860, before secession, there were more enslaved Mississippians than there were free Mississippians, more Mississippians that were of African descent than European descent. So I certainly did not understand that. I didn't understand the social system of slavery. I didn't understand the evil of that system, you know, that where rape was a normal part of, of, of everyday life, where most white men had their first sexual experience with enslaved women, where there were quote unquote breeding of, un, of, of, of enslaved people. So just the the moral degradation of this, of of what slavery was, I didn't understand it because my textbooks, my culture, my society made it seem that slavery wasn't that bad.
2: You might as a white person be able to say, well, I didn't do this. Um, People who came before us did. And there are folks alive today who have been deeply impacted by that history, whose lives continue to be impacted by that history.
3: Coming up, we examine how holding on to this part of its past changes the state's future. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Discover
11: America's fastest-growing sport with Next Stop Mississippi as we present On the Road, Next Stop, the American Pickleball Tour. We'll broadcast live from the tour at the Mississippi Coast Coliseum and Convention Center in Biloxi, Friday, April 28th at 10 a.m. Tune in to learn why pickleball is the fastest-growing sport in the nation through live interviews and gameplay. Join me, Jermaine Flood, Jay White, and Kamel King on Next Stop Mississippi, Friday, April 28th at 10 a.m., only on MPB Think Radio.
3: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. State offices closed today in recognition of Confederate Memorial Day. The holiday has been a fixture in state law for the better part of a century. But how does holding on to this particular past keep the state from moving forward?
8: The writer Isabel Wilkerson uses the metaphor of an old house. I'm Vaughn Gordon. I'm the executive director of the Alluvial Collective, uh, formerly the the Winter Institute. I'm a native of of Moorhead, Mississippi, and I remain a proud Mississippian to this day. Imagine uh, we inherited a, a, a big house, a big old house, and we don't know everything about it, but we know that it has some old systems operating in it, the electrical, the plumbing, the HVAC, you know, the old house's foundation, and it's and the walls that bear the greatest lows, it's infrastructure. They could last for a real long time if we take care of them. On the, you know, on the other hand, the systems inside, the elements of the house that make it possible for the people in it to thrive, they
7: are no longer city. It's a reminder, in my mind, in the year 2023, that even now, every day we are fighting the Civil War over and over and over again. Leslie Burrell McLemore, and I'm Professor Emeritus of Political Science at Jackson State University, and currently a member of the Walls, Mississippi Board of Aldermen. And we keep looking backward, backward and not forward. So it's symptomatic of the thinking and the uh, point of view of the leadership in this state, uh, which is ironic. In a state that is 38% African-American, uh, we're still fighting that war, and there's this still this, not this urge and this need to share you know, power and authority with each other. When we have to experience our state, recognize
8: a thing that was built, it's sustaining itself was built on minimizing the value of life, some of the life I share DNA with, uh, it is difficult. And I think anyone who tells you otherwise, uh, they probably haven't uh, permitted themselves to spend enough time thinking about it.
11: This is a perfect example of systemic racism that it is baked right in because it's codified into our laws. Mary Jane Meadows, I am with Indivisible Northeast Mississippi. We are a part of the National Indivisible Network. We feel it's our job to call out when we see injustices an examples of systemic racism. We feel
7: it's our job to call it out, call attention to it. This heritage that enslaved uh, African people in this country for, uh, for 400 years. So it seems to me that we need to move beyond this division and try to talk about ways that we can coalesce and work together to develop a better and a brighter future for the young people who live in our state.
11: We have got to do our homework to understand why this is not right. Supporters of these holidays say, well, that's our history, our heritage. Anytime you hear that word, our, you always need to ask, who is our?
8: Our theory of creating constructive change is that it's when the people who are able to impact the systems and shape the outcomes Uh, become more self-reflective they examine their stories and the stories of the communities that they have bearing on they become better equipped leaders and the challenges that that, you know before them, they're better able to meet and as a community we become more resilient when we strengthen those relationships and the depth of knowledge we have of each other that's our pathway
7: i have personally ignored it and i think uh, civil rights forces in general have ignored it uh, why not a day in honor of Medgar Evers and a day in honor of Fannie New Hamer people who tried to bring us together who tried to unify us not divide us
8: I think we have to do some hard work as Mississippians and at times it is uncomfortable work but it's the work of putting the history in context And that's, you know, the Confederacy included. We don't want an old house that's no longer fit for the future.
3: This has been Mississippi Edition.